Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Amen. The Bible says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Amen. And so tonight we are going once again to look at this ancient message that I believe has has significance for the modern church. In fact, I believe it has significance for this specific church. I believe the Lord's been talking to us from this book. Well, I'm glad three or four of you agree with that, and I, I hope the rest of you get on board before the night's over. Praise God. I do believe that God's been talking to this assembly, and he has yet more to say. And um, so I pray that our hearts and minds and spirits are open. You know, when I go to Africa, when I teach there, I always tell the people, make it a practice that every time you open your Bible, you open your heart. Every time you open your Bible, just, just see it in your mind. Make it a habit. When you open your Bible, open your heart. Open your mind. Open your spirit. Let God talk to you from this book. Well, hallelujah. You know, I've, I've, I've spent 20, almost 21 years trying to instill in this church that the things written in this book are not there so we can shout about what God did. They're not there to be a history lesson. They're there to be an encouragement for what God is doing and will do for his people today. Whatever he did then, he's more than able to do now. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. So these things are not here so we can have a history text. But they are here so that we can have a word of direction and encouragement and strength and peace and grace, correction, whatever we need. It's all right here and it's for us. These things are written for our admonition, Paul said, upon whom the ends of the world are come. That's us. That's us. And I'm telling you every day that I live, I'm more convinced. Uh, this is the generation upon whom the ends of the world are come. Praise God. And I'm saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices, ask the Lord to talk to us one more time. Can we do that, everybody? Let's talk to the Lord together, Jesus.
In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's worship him, everybody. Let's worship him. I feel a touch of the Holy Ghost here right now. Hallelujah. Praise God. This church, this church knows, you know, those of you that have been here any length of time, know that I am not given to sensationalism. I am not one who just gets up and is always proclaiming uh, supernatural things. But I'm just going to tell you what I felt just now. I feel like God has a specific word for somebody in this house tonight. If you'll get in tune with the Holy Ghost, God's going to talk to you tonight. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. Uh, allow me to, to, it's been a couple of weeks now because uh, of, of the time that we've been gone. So allow me to do a, a bit of a review just to bring everyone up to speed. I'm going to try not to bog things down too much uh, for the sake of those who have been here, uh, but for the sake of those who haven't and those who may have forgotten, let me just say a couple of things about this book of Haggai. You need to understand some things about this particular book. It is a unique book. It is very unique in so many ways. Um, for one thing, most of the Old Testament prophets were preaching to the people of Israel prior to their Babylonian captivity. And they were warning them of what was going to come. But Haggai, uh, Zechariah, and Malachi prophesied to the remnant that had gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild that city and rebuild the temple. And so that makes these three books uh, unique. Haggai especially. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I was discussing, I was discussing with uh, uh, a pastor friend of mine sometime back this book of Haggai and, and talking to him about the message of this book. And he, he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, really, the book of Haggai is just a book of revival, isn't it? And I said, that's exactly what it is. It is a book of revival. It's a book of revival. Amen. And I'm going to tell you something, church. I'm going to tell you, it's not an accident. And it's not a coincidence, nor is it just me and my emotions that God would put this on my heart at this time. I'm telling you, God has got a message of revival for New Life Pentecostal Church. Well, hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Now, 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 Haggai, Haggai, uh, this, as you can see, is a short book, just two chapters, some uh, 15 verses in chapter 1 and 23 verses in chapter 2. It's a very short book, but even...
even though it's short, do not, do not overlook its importance or its significance. Uh, these, these two chapters really are made up of four brief sermons. Uh, Haggai, Haggai, um, Haggai evidently was not like the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul and uh, Jesus and me when it comes to preaching. Hallelujah. Praise God. Uh, Haggai, Haggai got to the point. It, it was short and sweet, but extremely powerful. And he said what had to be said, and he did it distinctly and succinctly. And so he gives us here in these two chapters really four different messages, and we have, we've covered two of those so far. Um, one message in each night. I don't know if we'll get the last two tonight or if we'll only get one. I don't know yet. We'll have to see what happens. But, but there were four distinct messages in these two chapters. And all of it, all of it was preached within a period of less than six months. Uh, that's all we know about this prophet. He came on the scene. He did his job. We don't know anything else really about him beyond that. But what he said was so powerful and so necessary. Amen. Uh, just, just to remind you and to bring you up to speed with what's going on here in the book of Haggai. It was 16 years before Haggai, uh, opened this book. 16 years before that, Cyrus had made the proclamation, sending the Jews back into their homeland to rebuild their city and rebuild their temple. And they started working on it when they got back. Some 50,000 of the Jews went back into uh, that land uh, that they had known, that God had promised to Abraham. They went back and they started working. And within two years, they had laid the foundation of the temple. And then you'll Remember, as uh, the old men wept and the young men shouted, they were looking at this beginning of a building of a house for God, and things were looking up. But the enemy started fighting, and the enemy did everything that they could do to try to stop them from building this temple. Amen. They knew, I'm telling you, the enemy knew that it was a connection to the temple, and really a connection to their God that was going to allow this people to be victorious. And so the enemy wanted to destroy their relationship with God. Well, hallelujah. And the enemy wanted to discourage them and, and to do their best to stop them from, from getting this job accomplished. And the enemy was effective. Was effective. Now, follow with me. Of 16 years before Haggai prophesied, they were sent back. 14 years before he prophesied, they had the foundation laid. But for the next 14 years, they did nothing. And the foundation lie waste. It was overgrown with weeds. It was strewn with litter. Uh, it, it, was, it was a bad, it was in a bad, bad condition. 14 years since they had even touched it, since they had even done anything with it. And now the temple still remains unbuilt. But they weren't just sitting around doing nothing for 14 years. They were building their own homes. They were, they were planting their vineyards. They were sowing their gardens. They were, they were 
putting together their farms and growing their cattle and their crops and they were making a living and they were happy, happy to be back in the land of promise. But they had forgotten about what the real goal really was. And in fact, they had kind of resigned themselves to the idea that this is as far as we'll ever get. We're not going to see anything more than this barren foundation. We might as well just forget it. You know, God said that it would be 70 years and 70 years haven't quite passed yet. And so we might as well just sit around and do nothing as far as building. But they were certainly involved in building their own lives. And that's why Haggai stepped up and said, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? Or the word means ornate, elaborately decorated. You've been spending 14 years putting beautiful pictures on the wall and, and uh, you know, making sure everything in your house looked good. But I want you to look around and see the house of God. And the question that he asked them is really, which is more important, your house or God's? And then, and then, as we read in our text, he said, now I want you to think about something with me. Consider your ways. Nothing seems to be working for you. Nothing seems to be coming together for you. You're trying your best to make things work. But he said, you know, you, you go out here and, and he said, you, you, you get a, a bag of money and he said, it's got holes in it and you end up losing it all by the time you get home. He said, you, you gather your grain and God said, I've been blowing on it and just scattering it and you're not really accomplishing anything. He said, there's a reason why things are not working like you want them to work. It's because I'm trying to get your attention. I'm trying to bring you back to the real purpose for you being here. There will be time for you to build your lives after a while, but there's a work to be done. God wanted them to know, I know it has not yet been fully 70 years, but we're not going to wait until 70 years to make the preparation. God said, I want everything in place when that 70 year mark hits. Let's get it ready. Well, praise God. And so, and so he preached to them. And that was sermon number one, his call to completion. You got to complete this building. Then sermon number two we talked about in our last lesson was the call to courage. And that was verses one through nine of chapter two. A call to courage when he said, look, the enemy's going to come again. And, uh, and, 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 and he said, even, look, you know, really what he was dealing with at this point was not even really so much the enemy. What he was dealing with in, in giving them this message of courage was, he, if, if you'll remember, I'm just trying to refresh your memories here. He said, how many of you were here when the first building was built? And do you remember the glory of that building? He said, now look at what's here now. It's nothing like it once was. And you don't have the money Solomon had. And you don't have the, the, the talents that Solomon had. And, and we don't have the vast empire that Solomon had. And so in your mind, we can never be what it was then. But God finished, God was telling, take courage. Do you remember? God said, look, all of the silver is mine. All of the gold is mine. What you don't have, I do have. And this is my will that it gets accomplished. And I'm going to provide everything you need so that my will can be done. Right. 
And then he went on to tell them, I know you think the first house was glorious, but I want to tell you something. The glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former house. We talked about that. That's where we closed out in our last lesson. We talked about how that God always exceeds himself. God always outdoes him. God takes glory in that church. Look, I don't know if we really got it, and I don't want to. I don't want to get bogged down on that today. But listen to me. Listen to me. God is not happy that the greatest miracles that we know of are the things we heard about in the past. God is not happy that the most powerful services that we can talk about are things that happen under the brush arbor. That's not pleasing to God. God wants to outdo himself. God wants to show us a greater glory in 2017 than what they ever saw in 1917. That's the way God works. That's the way God works. He's always exceeding himself. He's always going beyond what he's done before. And so we're content to sit around and shout over Peter being delivered out of prison or the lame man at the temple, you know, being able to walk and, or even to talk about what happened uh, at Azusa Street and revival seven days a week and hundreds of people receiving the Holy Ghost, people coming from all over the world to experience it firsthand. And well, that sounds exciting. But I'm going to tell you, God's not pleased that our minds are back there and we're relishing in the past. God wants to show us something more. God wants to show us something greater. God wants to show us something deeper right now. The glory of the latter house is to be greater than the former. And uh, we talked about we talked about how that actually happened because to the Jews that that second house wasn't just what they put together when they came back as a remnant, but when Herod built the temple, sacrifice had not ceased, and they still consider Herod's temple to be a continuation of the second temple. In their minds, there's only been two Solomons, and then the one the remnant started. And Herod came along and elaborated on. And that's their two temples. They're still looking for the third one. Which, who knows, could be coming at any point. You know, there, I'm not going to get into all that, but there is a group of Jews that have been for years preparing everything for the rebuilding of that third temple. And, uh, they, they've, they've, they've been putting together all of the necessary instruments. Uh, they've got an organization called the Temple Institute where they're putting it all together. They want everything ready so that when they finally get the green light to build that temple on the Temple Mount, everything's going to be in place so they can start offering sacrifice. In fact, they are teaching priests right now how to offer the sacrifices. That's happening right now. They're preparing. And I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not... I'm not into trying to determine prophecy. I do know this much for the first time, for the first time, uh, 
Trump, for whatever whatever bad he's doing, one thing good that he is doing is he said we're going to move the embassy back to Jerusalem and declare Jerusalem the capital of Israel again. And that's, that's stirring up quite a stink, but that's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And who knows what that might lead to. Uh, but anyhow, that's another lesson for another day. But, but they, the, the second house that, that the, the Jews built, those who built it never saw the glory that was coming. But when Herod came along and added to that, and Herod rebuilt it basically, but they consider it still the same building, I'm telling you, the glory that was in that one was greater than the first one because what happened in that second one was the man Christ Jesus went into that second one. And that was the glory of God in human form. And the glory of that latter house was far greater than what Solomon saw. And I'm here to tell you tonight that what God is going to do right here, are you hearing me? That what God is going to do right here is greater than anything we have heard anybody talk about. It's greater than anything we've heard prophesied. It's greater than anything we've heard. Pre- you hear me, church? God is about to do something phenomenal in this place. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I believe that with all my heart. So now we come to the third of Haggai's four sermons. And this is found in chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. The first message was a call to completion. You got to rebuild the temple. The second was a call to courage. Don't worry about what it looks like. I'm going to take care of it. You just do it. Hallelujah. The third, the third message was a call to cleansing. Now we might not shout about this one as much as we have the other two, but it's necessary and it's part of the process. As Haggai starts into this third sermon, he points out something that we need to understand. Let's let's go to Haggai chapter 2. Get your Bibles open. This is Bible study time. Haggai chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Listen to this. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be clean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Now, here's what Haggai said. He said, I want you to go talk to the priest about the law. And I want want to determine something here. He said, if you take holy flesh, that is a, 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 a sacrifice that's been offered to God, and because it's been offered to God, it's holy now. He said, can you take that holy flesh and put it in something that is unclean and cause the unclean to suddenly become holy? The answer to that is no. He said, but now let's turn it around. 
take something that is holy and put something unclean in it, does the holy become unclean? And the answer is yes. Now let me put that in modern vernacular. It's simply this. Holiness is not contagious, but unholiness is. All right? Here's what he's saying. He's saying that, that if, you, if you have something that is holy, let's say the house that we're building for God, but there are things in your life that need to be addressed, and there's uncleanness there, what happens to the holiness of the temple? He said you've contaminated it. You don't become holy because you step into the temple. Rather, it becomes unholy. The holiness doesn't rub off. The uncleanness does. Now, look, church, I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but, but let me just tell you something. We've got to be careful. The associations that we make We've got to be careful who we hang around. Now look, look, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we need to become self-righteous and turn our noses up. I'm not saying that at all. And I know that Jesus spent time with sinners, but I'm going to show you in just a minute, Jesus is different than what we are. Well, hallelujah. Now I'm not telling, again, I'm not saying avoid sinners, but I'm just telling you this, if we spend all of our time with people that are ungodly, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to make them godly. You're not going to make them godly. They're going to have an effect on you. This is why, this is why, and I might as well just throw it out, but this is why we teach our young people that you don't date people that are not in the church. You don't make them holy. They'll make you unholy. Look, I'm not making this up. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Here's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Be ye not unequally Be yoked. not unequally yoked together, together with unbelievers. With unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? What communion what has communion light with darkness? Does light have with darkness? What concord? What concord Christ does with Christ have with Belial? Or what part what hath he, part that, believes he that believes have with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. Now then he brings it down to this. You are God's temple. Read. As God has said, as God I has said, dwell in them. I'm going to dwell in them. And walk in them. I'm going to walk in and them. And I will be their God. I'm going to be their God. They shall be my They'll people. Be my people. Wherefore, Wherefore, come out from among them, out from and, be among them and be separate. Says the Lord. Says the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. Don't touch what is unclean. And I will receive and you. I'll receive you. And will be a and father, will be a father to you. And you shall be and my sons, be my and, sons and daughters. Says the Lord Almighty. Now listen. Here's what God said. God said you can't be running all the time with ungodliness and think that 
that you're going to have the influence on them. You need to understand it's like oil and water. The two just don't mix. I will tell you something, saints of God. If you feel more comfortable around sinners, then it's time for you to get back to the altar and get a good praying through. Now, I want to reach them. I want to win them. I want to love them. I want to do everything I can. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but I'm going to tell you, when they get to telling their dirty jokes and they get to doing things that are unclean, I'm ready to get up and get out of there. And if that's who you enjoy being around, it's time for a renewing in the Holy Ghost. You enjoy reading ungodly books, looking at ungodly websites, and watching ungodly clips or whatever on computer or whatever you're doing. I'm telling there's something wrong with your Holy Ghost. There ought not be anything inside of you that feels comfortable with that. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And again, please, I, I don't know why I have to, I feel like I have to keep qualifying this because I'm not saying that we need to get a holier-than-thou attitude and have nothing to do with the lost. If we get that attitude, we'll never win anybody. I'm not talking about that, but I'm just telling you, even when I'm trying to reach the lost, there has to come a time when you look around and say, am I walking away being more influenced than they are? And if they're influencing me, it's time to make a break. Well, praise God. It's getting real quiet now. Uh, I want the glory of the latter house to be greater than that of the former. But this is the way that it comes. This is the way that it happens. I'm going to tell you, we got to get closer to him. Oh my, it's getting quiet in here. I don't know that we will get past this third sermon tonight. I'm going to tell you something. We need, look, something's got to happen. New life, listen to me. Listen to me. Something has to happen that we have got to once again fall in love with the people of God. We ought to desire to spend time with one another. When you get to the place, well, I just don't want to hang around. I'll, I'll get my feelings I'm going to get this. No, no, something's wrong with your Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, the people of God ought to be the people you are the closest to. Well, hallelujah. Now look, I am still pastor, so I can, I can still say what I need to say. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, there ought to be something in your heart that you want to be with the people of God. That's who you want to fellowship. That's who you want to hang around with. When you would rather be with a sinner, I'm telling you it's because you're closer to their spiritual condition than you are to the spiritual condition you ought to be in. Now I know, I know Jesus ate with sinners, but I'm telling you, he spent most of his time with his disciples. He spent most of his time with those that loved him and followed him. And there ought to be something in our hearts that 
I'm going to tell you something, church. I love it. I love it. When we dismiss service and people are just hanging around talking. There's something good about that, brother, sister. Whenever we, we're ready to turn the lights out and most of people talking to one another, that's good. That's good. That's a good sign. Now, I know folks have got jobs and some people, I'm not, don't misread me tonight. Don't misread me tonight. But I'm just telling you, there ought to be something in our hearts that we love to be with the people of God. We just love being around God's people. I'd rather be with God's people than anybody. Than anybody. I want to be around those that encourage me. I want to be around those that challenge me spiritually. I want to be around those that will help me, that will say good things, that will quote scriptures. I, I love to talk to men, amen, to get on the phone and we start talking scripture. I love to do that. Because something in me agrees with that. There's none of us that are super spiritual and, can, and, and, and we are not affected by the filth of this world. We're going to be affected by it. We will be affected by it. Now, Jesus, as I said, is different. But let me tell you a little bit about the difference there. Romans chapter 1, verse 23. Now, this is a whole sermon in itself. And um, you young preachers might want to preach this one day. This old preacher may preach it. Again, I've actually preached on it. I don't know, it's been years ago. But, but uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 23. And change the glory of the uncorruptible God. Now he's talking about these, these men that have become reprobate. He said, here's what they did. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. Into an image, into an image made, like to corruptible made like man. to corruptible man. And to birds, birds and four-footed four beasts and creeping Now, birds. I want you to notice the difference between God and man. Do you see the adjective that describes God and the adjective that describes man? Man is corruptible, but God is uncorruptible. King James English, we would say incorruptible. He is an incorruptible God. God cannot be corrupted. This is why I'm telling you, Jesus can sit at dinner with, with nobody but a bunch of rank sinners, and he's not affected by it because he is incorruptible. See, this is one of the biggest problems that the Pharisees had with him. You, you know, we've talked about it in our Sunday morning sessions, how they're looking constantly to find fault with Jesus. They want to find fault with Jesus. And I'm telling you, they would have loved to have been able to pinpoint at him sometime when he's walking into the temple saying, you can't go in there, you're unclean. And I'm going to tell you, based on what the law said, had he been any other man, there were lots of times he would have been unclean. Had he been any other man, based on what the law said. For instance, he's walking down the road and a woman with an issue of blood. Now, if you're caught up on your Bible reading, it hadn't been that long ago that you read about what happens when a woman is, is losing blood and she is considered unclean. And this has been happening to this woman for 12 years. She's unclean. Nobody can touch her. 
Nobody can be around her. They can't even sit on the couch she sits on. She's unclean. But she touched him. Now the Pharisees would have loved to have said, that makes you unclean, but it didn't. It didn't make him unclean. It would have anybody else. A leper comes up to him. You can't touch a leper. The law says you touch a leper, you're unclean. But Jesus touched the leper. Now they would have loved to put unclean across his forehead and said you can't go back in the temple, you're unclean. But they couldn't do it. He's walking along and sees a funeral procession. There's a, there's a, a dead boy in the casket. And he stops and touches the dead boy. You know, according to the law, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. Are you following me? They would love to have been able to label him as unclean, but they couldn't. You know why? He is the incorruptible God. Let me tell you, here's the problem. If they're going to take him to court and say he's unclean because he touched a woman with an issue of blood, then they're going to have to produce the witness and here's the woman who's still issuing blood. But she's not issuing blood anymore. And she's not unclean anymore. She's now clean. You want to prove that he is unclean because he touched a leper? Then let's bring the leper into the courtroom. Show us the leper. You want to make him unclean because he touched a dead body? Then bring the dead body here. Show us the corpse. But it doesn't work that way with Jesus. He's the incorruptible God. And when he touches it, it doesn't matter how unclean it is. His cleanness is transferred. That's the only reason we have hope today, church. That's the only reason we have hope. doesn't matter doesn't matter brother Brandon what a person's history is I'm preaching to somebody here tonight it doesn't matter what your past is it doesn't matter where you've been what you've done you can come to Jesus more unclean than in your mind than anybody's ever been but doesn't affect him because he is able to transfer his cleanness to the unclean. He can make you what you've never been before. Oh, I feel like I've just given somebody a word tonight. I'm telling you, God, God is interested in changing you. He's not interested in what you were. He's interested in what he can make out of you. He doesn't see where you are. He sees where you're headed. He wants to touch. He caught
who were dead in trespasses and sins hath he quickened or hath he made alive only the incorruptible God can touch you when you're lying in that coffin of sin and he brings you back to life Oh, let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hands. He cut out of us. I'm so sick and tired of the devil holding people's past over their heads. I'm telling you, why don't you forget about all of that and bring it to Jesus? He can change you. He 